Well, this is a first things first Tuesday Zoom meeting. And so I want to talk to you about self-leadership today. Um, here's my premise. The toughest leadership challenge you will ever face is in the realm of self-leadership. And the hardest person you will ever have to lead in the life of the church is not a pastor or a staff member or a volunteer serving in your ministry. It is you yourself. And so what I'd like to do today is to scroll through the lives of some biblical leaders to identify the praiseworthy components of their leadership in order that their character strengths, their leadership strengths, would find greater expression in our lives. So here we go. My leadership top 10 from uh, the 66 books of the book that we all love and are committed to. Here we go. Are you optimistic like David? Now, the first time we're introduced to David, we're impressed with his faith-based optimism. Of course, it shows up dramatically in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he responds to the challenge of the Philistine giant. Goliath of Gath, David took a step up. Other veteran warriors took a step back. They said, look how much bigger he is than any of us. David said, look how much smaller he is than God. And they said, he's too big for us to fight. David said, he's too big for me to miss. So he was willing to risk rather than play it safe. I Love the time I read that account and noticed how David trash-talked Goliath of Gath in response to the giants' taunts. He had trash-talked Israel uh, for days, and David gave it back to him. And then it says in the passage that David ran to the battle line. He didn't rope-a-dope. He didn't dance around the ring. He ran to the battle line. And... Uh, he predicted that Goliath would fall in the first round, and he did. And David maintains this kind of faith-based optimism all throughout his life, even when he was pursued by Saul. Uh, during every challenge of his leadership as king in Israel, he maintains this uh, optimistic leadership. And we need to embrace that because people will not follow pessimistic leadership. And if ever there was a time for faith-based optimism, it's now. People need to see your smile. They need to see it in your face. They need to hear it in your words. They need to observe it in your actions and reactions. We're all looking ahead right now to big challenges. And it's vitally important that we lead with a positive spirit like David. I've said to my co-workers during my years as president of the college and, and the local church pastor, uh, if you see in me or hear from me any negativism or criticism or cynicism, you can call me on it. And I pledge to monitor you in the same way. I think one of the greatest compliments I had was from our worship pastor at Crossroads, David Reinhardt, he was a political junkie, and uh, his nickname for me was the Gipper. And uh, the Gipper, of course, is Ronald Reagan. And uh, Ronald Reagan was 
somebody who rallied and re-energized a nation in decline, a nation in discouragement. Ronald Reagan even charmed and befriended uh, Tip O'Neill, the Democratic Speaker of the House, an overbearing personality. And, um, and Ronald Reagan led him effectively. So optimism is something we need. Are you optimistic like David? Now, secondly, are you loving like Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan was bright. He was a gifted young leader. And yet the most noticeable quality of his inner life was his capacity to love. He could have seen David as a threat to his own inheritance. And yet he chose instead to recognize David's superior leadership and align himself with David as a true friend. He was loyal to David. At the same time, he was loyal to his father. And that was a tough balancing act. Jonathan, in his own right, was a warrior of considerable valor and achievement, but his love and his loyalty to the people in his life is even more impressive. And when it's all said and done, what will matter most about our leadership is whether or not we were loving. It is the ultimate measuring stick of character. It's not our accomplishments. It is our heart. And I know there are times when we need to fast from contact with people, particularly the drainers. Uh, Bill Heibel says you've got three kind of people in your life. You've got the replenishers, you've got the drainers, and then there's the ciphers, the replenishers of the people you, you just never get enough time with. They just fill you up. They bless you. The drainers are the other swing of the pendulum. They're the people that uh, you're with them five minutes and it feels like all day and you need to limit your time with drainers, maximize your time with, with the replenishers and then just realize that most people in your life are gonna be ciphers that will neither add nor subtract. But foundational to a call to spiritual leadership, passionate love for God and a passionate love for people. So are you loving like Jonathan? Thirdly, are you pure like Joseph? Now, you know, Joseph's biography, his rise to prominence was virtually overnight, yet he was not prideful. He did not operate with a double standard. He did not see himself as the exception, but as an example. And he was not corrupted by pride. He was not corrupted by power. He manages to avoid financial seduction and political scandal and sexual compromise. Joseph had moral authority that followed him throughout his life, and that's the reason why he has been called the Jesus of the Old Testament. And the people who follow our leadership in the church need to be able to have confidence in us that we will not lead a double life. We will not sell out to the values of the world. We will not be seduced by money or sex or ruined by success. We humbly submit to spiritual disciplines. We humbly submit to accountability to people who will be honest with us and speak truth into our lives and a worthy goal would be to finish our lives well, like Joseph finished his life, without ever bringing reproach 
on the Lord. I do not know of a more vital and indispensable component of self-leadership than uncompromised purity and your greatest authority as a leader is moral authority. Number four, are you decisive like Joshua? His finest moment was when he stood before the congregation of Israel and went on record declaring, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Boy, do we ever need these standalone spiritual leaders in this day and time. Uh, Joshua just makes you want to get on board, doesn't he? He inspires bold decisions. Joshua knew that people don't drift in the direction of God. It's like the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We have to be decisive and uncompromising in matters of faith and commitment. Life is not a game, and spiritual growth is not automatic. Bold decisiveness matters. It's the backbone of character, and it's a big part of self-leadership. So, are you courageous like Esther? You know her story, thrust into leadership more because of her beauty than her skills, and Esther wound up at the crossroads of her people's destiny. She could plead their case before the king or protect her position. And she asked God's people to fast and pray for her for three days and nights. And then she declared her intention to go before the king, saying, If I perish, I perish. She was saying, I'll do the right thing no matter the personal cost. And there is enormous potential for church advancement in each of your communities, but it will require courage when you come to critical intersections. The church in the 21st century must be led by courageous men and women. It's so easy to play it safe, to prefer comfort, to pushing the limits or creating stress points in ministry. But we've got to remember Esther who said, if I perish, I perish. I was impressed as a young man with the courage of a missionary named Isabel Didamore. I heard her speak for an event and she in her personal testimony talked about the fact that when she went to China as a missionary, back when it would take you a month to get to where you needed to go in the, in the uh, backlands of China, before she went to the mission field, she's under 30 years old, she had all of her teeth pulled and she was fitted for dentures because she knew she was not coming back to the States. She didn't want to be plagued by dental issues. And so before age 30, she had her teeth pulled, fitted for dentures. And when I heard her testimony, I buried my face in my hands. And I said, Eidelman, you are such a lightweight. Isabel marked my life with her courage and sacrifice. Number six, are you wise like Solomon? Uh, I think praying for wisdom has dominated my leadership prayers more than any other through the years. I understand why Solomon asked for this above all else in his role as a judge of God's people. Godly, sober-mindedness has no substitute 
especially when you're confronting big initiatives and big challenges. And um, I got used to leadership challenges at the college, but I can tell you the year I was on sabbatical and went out to California to assist our son and our son-in-law in starting a new church in Santa Clarita Valley, uh, I was really renewed in my dependence on God's wisdom. It's, um, it's just a fact that we will go through seasons when we are more dependent on God's wisdom. And here's the promise in J James 1. If we lack wisdom, we can ask him for it. And he will give it to us generously. And uh, so seeking God's wisdom to lead God's uh, is it time to move forward with a new plan or consolidate and let the dust settle? Is it time to inspire the church body or to bring a word of correction? Is it best to renew a staff member in their service or is it time to encourage them to find a new place to serve? Should I deal with a doctrinal matter from the pulpit or some other way? People look to us. They trust us to set the pace and set the direction of our church. And for this reason, we all desperately need Solomon's wisdom. Number seven, are you authentic like Jeremiah? Let's face it, Jeremiah did not have good results in his prophetic ministry. And when things did not go well, he poured out his disappointment to God. People weren't responding to his call to repent. Evil seemed to be pervasive, but Jeremiah did not get bitter. He did not get sarcastic. He let God restore his broken heart, and he rose above his discouragement, saying, I did eat your words. He said to God in prayer, I did eat your words, and your words in me are the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And Jeremiah also wrote in Lamentations chapter 3, 22, your mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He was real with people. He was honest before God in his prayers and meditations. You can read them in the book of Jeremiah and also in the book of Lamentations. And we've got to have this character trait in our arsenal. Putting on a game face and being positive is good in terms of public ministry, being hopeful, being optimistic, but you've also got to be real with your confidants. We must not be aloof or artificial or pretentious or untouchable or unapproachable. We need to be transparent shepherds. We need to be emotionally authentic, but let's not get down and stay down. What does it say about the all-sufficient grace of God to lift us and restore us? Jeremiah said, your word in me is the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And James said, is any among you suffering? Tell God about it. And if you are joyful, tell everybody else about it. If you're suffering, pray. If you're joyful, sing praise. So, um, Number eight in our hit parade, are you joyful like Nehemiah? Nehemiah is cited as one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. And there's no doubt that he accomplished some fantastic things. He could recruit people, motivate people, 
mold and organize people into a unified body. But after 52 days of nonstop building, Nehemiah had a huge celebration for all his faithful workers. He wanted them to savor their achievement to honor one another and to praise God. And all work and no play makes for dull people and dull churches. All service and no celebration means people are going to wear down and they're going to wear out. So let's not drain the joy out of serving the Lord by neglecting this. Our need to celebrate, our need to have joy. Keep the new church excitement in the race. And we all need to contribute to it. Uh, we had on our uh, list of character traits for pastors that we added to our team at Crossroads, uh, they had to have a sense of humor. If they didn't have a sense of humor, mm, we, uh, we weren't attracted to them. And I love the fact that our number five core value at the Solomon Foundation is to have fun. That's what I'm talking about. Joyful, like Nehemiah. Number nine, are you bold like Peter? Sure, he's impulsive. We know that. And it's embarrassing sometimes to listen to him or observe him. But what about the upside of Peter's character? He's the first one out of the boat to walk on the water. He's the first one to answer the question about who Jesus is. He's the one who drew his sword to defend Jesus in the garden. And he wasn't very good with that sword. He aimed to split open the head of the high priest, and he wound up cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. So uh, Peter was one of these guys that could not just sit there or stand there. He had, to, he had to do something, and this is a valuable component of self-leadership. Don't be passive. If your ministry is adrift or in decline, initiate some kind of action. Try something new. Launch out in some way to create ripples. Get out front. Lead like you mean it. Lead like someone who will someday give an account to the Lord of the harvest for how you've used the resources and opportunities you've been given. We have a stewardship of years. We have a stewardship of life. We want the initiative-taking boldness of Peter. And number 10, and lastly, and certainly not least, are you intense like Paul? I grew up in the Champaign-Urbana, Illinois area. When Dick Butchus was playing football at the University of Illinois, perhaps the most celebrated football player who ever went through the university there, he was four years ahead of me in school. So when I was a high school sophomore, he was a sophomore at the U of I, junior, junior, senior, senior. And then he spoke at my athletic award banquet my senior year. Uh, did I mention that year we were undefeated? In fact, I have the conference trophy right here in my office. I'm going to stand up and get it. Just so you know, I'm telling you the truth. Here it is. They were cleaning out the, the uh, trophy uh, cabinet at my high school and throwing stuff in the dumpster. And uh, somebody thought, you know, I think I might like to have that trophy. And he got it out of the dumpster and gave it to me. And uh, 
it brings back good memories. Uh, anyway, Butkus played the entire game of every game I saw. He played center on offense. He played middle linebacker on defense. And I have not seen his kind of intensity in any other player before or since in football. I used to go and pay $2 to watch Butkus on Saturday afternoon. And it fired me up to play with the same intensity on the following Friday night. Butkus made me a 40% better player. I would watch him tackle the, the backfield and sort out the ball carrier or intercept a pass and run it back or block a field goal or sack a quarterback. And his intensity inspired me. And I see that same kind of intensity in the Apostle Paul. He's a man whose intensity uh, for the gospel exceeded the intensity of Butkus in football. Paul's charge for us to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith, stirs our emotions. I want that kind of intensity in my Christian life and leadership. The stakes of the kingdom are far beyond the stakes of collegiate or prophetic, professional athletics. And this is something we can all use in our leadership. Greater intensity, Christ-honoring, Apostle Paul-like intensity. Listen to his words. I do not consider my life as dear to myself, only that I would achieve the mission that I received from the Lord. This one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of the church, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. In a race, there's only one winner. When I run a race, I do so. We all say, oh, God, make me like Paul. Give me this intensity so I have the power of your Holy Spirit, strength in the middle of the battle to endure to the end. So may this prayer shape the character of our leadership, and may God's grace lift us to our full leadership potential. Let me pray for you. Father, grant us each one the optimism of David and the love of Jonathan and the purity of Joseph and the decisiveness of Joshua and the courage of Esther, and the wisdom of Solomon, and the authenticity of Jeremiah, and the joy of Nehemiah, and the boldness of Peter, and the intensity of Paul, as we live for you, and as we lead others to know you and love you and follow you and serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.